All right, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with you here live in Club Pod. And hanging out with Jason Pfeiffer, the one, the only, the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. So good to have so many familiar faces here in the room hanging out. And uh, definitely will give you guys the opportunity to come on up and ask some questions as well because we got a lot of fun planned in store. If you're listening to the podcast, definitely make sure you join us in Clubhouse, in Club Pod. We do our Lunch with the Legends series almost every Wednesday at noon Pacific. Uh, and if you're hanging out with us here in Club Pod, make sure that you check out Reinvention Radio, uh, which is the name of our podcast. And uh, and that is where this entire episode will land after today. So without further ado, because I know Jason's got a schedule to adhere to, uh, let me go ahead and bring Jason up here. And Jason, what is going on, my friend, the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine himself, Jason Pfeiffer? What's going on, dude? How are you? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Look at that. My name is at the top of this uh, title of this room. How, how could you not feel good? Um, I appreciate everybody being here. I, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. Well, you are the star of the show, and it's awesome having you here. And so let me let me do this. I, I want to do a couple things. Number one, I want to make sure that people have the opportunity to actually get to know you a little bit because they see Entrepreneur Magazine and they you know. They, it's pretty intimidating, man. How, first of all, how long has that that magazine been around uh, as as a brand itself? It's been around for quite a long time, but give give me just a, a little bit around Entrepreneur Magazine, and then we're going to get into your background as well. Oh yeah, sure. So, well, Entrepreneur has been around for forty something years, and I have been with Entrepreneur since twenty fifteen, and then I became editor in chief in twenty sixteen. So this is crazy enough the longest job I've ever held. <laughs> My philosophy has always been to. Uh, go somewhere, learn as much as you can. The second that you feel like you're not learning, move on. Mm. Uh, but but there's been just endless things to learn and endless opportunities. And I also just, I love the community of entrepreneurs so much that I, uh, you know, how could I, how could I, how could I walk away? I'm holding on. Yeah. So is this uh, more exciting or less exciting than your stint with, uh, with Maxim Magazine? <laughs> that was Quite a stint. It was a short stint, uh, and there's not a whole lot to say about it. Um, no, this is this is far more exciting. It, I mean, you know, the funny thing is that when you spend a lot of time in media, you you take a lot of jobs where you don't really care about the audience. Mm. You care about the things that you can learn, the skill sets, the 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 the. the simple act of making something. The reason I went to Maxim was because they were reinventing. They had hired their first ever female editor in chief and they were gonna they were gonna reinvent the magazine as a magazine for for more mature older men. And I thought, oh that sounds pretty interesting. And then that didn't really work out and I moved along. But you know, I didn't really care about the audience there, just as I didn't care about the audience when I worked at Men's Health. But entrepreneur, I'm here for the audience. I really connect with these folks and I really admire you know I I redefine for myself. I, I define the word entrepreneur not as any particular kind of career or company or whatever. I think an entrepreneur is someone who makes things happen for themselves. And that is how I define myself. And that's how I define everybody who I speak with. And uh, that's a pretty exciting place to be. Yeah. And, and so you, you ended up uh, landing a pretty, I, I would say, a coveted position with Fast Company and in a, in a similar position with, with Men's Health. So, I mean, you've obviously been in this publishing space for a long time. What what do you see just from, from sort of, because we don't really get a lot of the inside scoop in terms of what's going on in these magazines that we see on the on the newsstands or we see on, on one of our screens. What What is the biggest difference between entrepreneur then and what you saw at, at Men's Health or at Fast Company or, or, or you know, even Boston Magazine as you go back farther, farther in your career? Well, it's, it depends on what kind of thing we're talking about. Uh, one of the things that has been very unique for me at Entrepreneur is that it's an exceptionally small team. You'd be shocked for the size of the brand and the reach that we have. It is a, it is a really small team, a very intimate team. And I came from magazines that had staffs that were just infinitely larger than this. And when I started at Entrepreneur, I thought my first thought was, how are we supposed to do this? Right. Mm. I mean, like I'm used to I'm used to having four photo editors and now I got like one photo director and that's it. What are we supposed to do? And then I realized that the key to it was to cut out the BS 
You know, like I, I think I'll give you an example. When I worked at Boston Magazine, this was a long time ago, 2007, maybe. Uh, my entire job once a month was to edit eight pages in the magazine. And boy, that felt that felt like a lot of work at the time. Eight pages in a magazine. Now, I mean, yeah. come on, yeah. eight pages in a magazine. I, you know, I got I got like three people making an entire magazine. So what how do we do it? Well, I'll tell you, I thought back to that time of Boston Magazine. I thought, what did I do at Boston Magazine? all month. How was that all taking up all my time? And I would remember, well, my the editor in chief would come by with a page that was printed out and he would have circled the caption. And he would said, you know, I think this caption could be funnier. And then I would sit there for two hours and I'd come up with like 30 options and I'd sit around for half an hour until he was ready to look at it. And then he would pick one and then we'd move along. And you know what? Mm. Not a single person in the history of the world has ever said, I subscribe to this magazine because the captions are funny. Right? It never happened. Except for the New and Yorker, because so, I mean, the New Yorker, like they live and breathe on their cartoons, right? I mean, it's, well, that, but cartoons are a feature of the magazine. True, yeah, true. but like, but for most magazines, the, a caption isn't isn't a feature of the magazine. It's just a little detail that you may or may not have noticed. So, uh, right, you have to understand what's core and what's not core. For the New Yorker, cartoons are core. For most magazines, a lot of the stuff that people spend so much time on is not actually core. You have to know what your audience actually cares about and what, the, and you know, it's like you're not you're not making a product. It doesn't matter where if you're in media or you're in business, whatever. You're not making a product for like, for like, you know, you, the 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 three people that you like to geek out about product with, right? Mm. You're making it for the consumer. You're solving a problem for people, and so you better know exactly what that problem is and what people respond to. And what I discovered is that I spent a lot of time doing a lot of garbage that you can totally cut out, and you can make a great magazine with a lot less people. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we and for those of you who are joining us for the first time here in Club Pod, welcome. Uh, and you may not know that we publish podcast magazines. So I will tell you that from personal experience, this is, well, this is our first time really going into this uh, arena as, as, as publishers. And with, with great number of pages comes great responsibility <laughs> because the reality is, man, we get inundated with people who want to be featured in the magazine. So how, how do you, yeah, right. So how do you determine, and it's a great credit. And what I actually, for the last year and a half now, I've been telling everybody, like, I don't care what your niche is. And I brought a couple friends up here on stage and, and we will open this for questions. So if you have questions uh, for Jason, feel free to raise your hand. If this is again, your first time in club pod, we do like to keep things really interactive. I'm, I've got some questions I want to ask Jason, but I also want you guys to have the opportunity to ask Jason. As a matter of fact, I, I would love for a couple of you guys even maybe even to pitch Jason and be like, you know what, Jason, you got to do a story on me because here's why I'm super cool. And, and of course, Jason, you're under no obligation to say yes or no, but I thought that might I'll be fun. I'll, I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. sweet. I'll so we'll make this, exactly. So we'll make this into a live pitch fest. Uh, you know, why not? Let's just, let's just pitch the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. Matter of fact, I've been doing it now for God knows how long and I'm still trying to get booked and, uh, you know, get, get in the magazine. But the point being, Jason, and welcome Roger Love to the stage as well. The point being, I did not understand the value of what a magazine really held insofar as cachet is concerned, even in today's marketplace with everything being as digital focused as it is. What is it about a magazine that people still geek out about, man? It's a really good question, and it's been fascinating to watch because, let's be clear, any publisher who prints a magazine also prints or also publishes a website. That website reaches infinitely more people than the print magazine does. It just does, right? I, I mean, you know, the, the print magazine for Entrepreneur has a really nice reach. I mean, we, you know, there's a circulation of 500,000 a month, but that, that, that is a small number compared to the millions and millions of people that we reach on entrepreneur.com. So it is it is entirely possible that you get into a print magazine and it is actually uh, reaching fewer people than if you were just online. So why do people care about it? And the answer I think is because it isn't available to everybody, right? In a way that anybody can publish anything on the web. Anybody can do it. It may not look good, you know, but like going back to GeoCities, anybody could do it. Whereas a print magazine is just, it requires a lot more. It is very complicated to get a print magazine out, as you well know. And uh, and so I, I think that people 
are eager to be involved in something that still feels like it has a gate, right? People want to be through the gate. And uh, this is an interesting thing. If you create media of any form, you're basically creating a club. You're creating a gate and people want to come through it. And uh, this is this can be this can be used for good or, or evil, I suppose. But I find that it's very interesting when you run a print magazine um, that people will uh, they will stumble over themselves to, to get involved in it. I, will, I get emails all the time from representatives of uh, A-list celebrities who want to be involved in it. Um, why? Because it's got a cachet that the web just can't match. And um, that's a powerful thing. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I want to make sure that I give my friends that jumped up here on stage the opportunity to ask you a question, maybe even do a quick little pitch uh, as well. So either Dylan or, or Katie or Roger or Billy, and then we're going to bring some folks up from the audience as well. If you just want to flash your mic, question for Jason or maybe even a pitch for Jason to get you featured in uh, in Entrepreneur Magazine, just give me a quick mic flash if you want to uh, if you want to fire away. Otherwise, I will go to the audience here. And okay, so... Let me do this. So, uh, yeah, Roger, I knew I knew you'd want to jump in here on this. If you don't know Roger Love, so R- Jason, do you know Roger? Have you met Roger Love yet? Uh, we've been in a couple rooms together. I think Cal Fussman's rooms. Uh, Roger, I see you in. Gotcha, gotcha. So let me ask you questions. Like Roger has a great story, and I would think that this is the kind of uh, feature that you would want to do an entrepreneur because, well, you need your voice in order to share your mission, share your message, etc. So. Uh, Roger, let me let you fire away here and we'll try to keep it uh, at a minimum if we can, just so we can get to as many people as possible, but either a question uh, or a direct pitch for Jason. Jason, what I love about the rooms that we've been in together is that you've always been in a room, you've always been in the car driving someplace with your kids. So I've decided (laughs) that you are an awesome parent. Awesome. Because anyone that's in the room, always dealing with their kids, always worried about what the kids, that the kids have some activity and that much involvement, you're a good person as far as I'm concerned, aside from anything that you do with the Entrepreneur Magazine. So uh, I'll just say, if you don't know me, I'm the guy that was at, a, at an event about a year and a half ago, and I went up to the, the person who was there, who was the owner of one of the main owners of Forbes, the company that owns Forbes. And I didn't know that person. And I said, you need to have me on the cover of Forbes magazine. And the, this very, uh, you know, stately and, and, and calm uh, person said, why? And I said, because you've spent your life creating the brand of what people need to know to run successful businesses and be successful, and yet your magazine is all word-based. And we are no longer in a word-based culture. We're in a voice-forward culture. And you need to have me on the cover of the magazine, and it needs to be the new voice of business. Because people don't process communication first for logic words. They process communication first for emotion. And I've figured out how people should communicate emotionally so that they can influence the way that people feel. And when you influence the way that people feel, it totally changes the dynamic of every communication along with every business communication. He laughed and he said, I've never heard anyone speak this passionately. Flash forward, I'm not on the cover yet, but flash forward, Forbes and I have partnered together. I now have classes at the Forbes School of Business and Technology. I now have been the keynote speaker for every major Forbes event in the last year and a half. I and 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 I'm still aiming for being at the cover, but if you want, if 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 you if you force me, I'd be more than willing to do it at an <laughs> entrepreneur magazine, gratefully. There, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate that you would uh, you would bow to us like that, uh, that Roger. That's that's a girl. So first of all, let me let me take it in kind. Um, uh, I appreciate the shout out to my juggling kids. Um, yeah, usually we're in rooms on the weekends, so uh, I, I try to pop in and out of clubhouse. But I've always got the kids around now. Fortunately, they're in school. But I will tell you. At the very beginning of the pandemic, when the kids were around all the time, I was doing my absolute best to keep them out of frame, right? I, I do a lot of video. I do a lot of live things. I'm doing multimedia all the time. Podcasts, I have, you know, I, I, I have a podcast I create all the time. And, uh, you know, I have a podcast called Build for Tomorrow, um, which I guess I should note seeing as we're in Clubhot. And, uh, and, and the kids would be bursting into the room and I'd be stopping the mic and it was so annoying. And then I eventually realized that the kids are not 
an interruption, the kids are an asset because it makes me and everything that I do more relatable. Everybody feels it at the same time. And people don't, people don't like people on pedestals. People like people who they can relate to, who they feel like they have some connection to. And I realized that me hiding the kids was actually, uh, it was actually harming me. Whereas if I let them into the world and, and even, even include them, if, you know, if I, if I have a good take on a, on a podcast and there's some kids screaming in the background, fine, I leave it in. I acknowledge it, uh, because it has been a great asset to the audience. And so, um, that's why I, I, that's why I just now clubhouse with them around because for the exact reason that you just responded is exactly what they say. So anyway, I'm glad to hear that. And I just encourage everybody, um, consider what your assets are because sometimes they may not be what you think they are. Um, and then, um, to your, so, you know, look, we, it, it's funny, everybody, everybody comes for the cover. Uh, everybody comes for the cover. Um, and, um, uh, uh, almost nobody gets it because we don't put that many covers out. Uh, and, um, and typically what we're looking for is, is like, much like most magazines is, uh, celebrities. Um, you know, the way that I tend to think of the magazine cover is, um, does it answer yes to two questions? Number one, does the average person walking through an airport know this person? Uh, I hope the answer is yes. And then number two, does the, um, average person walking through an airport feel like there's, they have something to learn from this person? Okay. Because Roger, you're, yeah. I mean, so Roger, you're done and done, man. Sorry about that. You're going <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, you're, gonna have to, you're gonna be stuck to the interior. That, but, if that's a criteria. No, just playing. But but, but it's a yeah. good point. I mean, just, and to that point though, Jason, do do magazines today do they still sell at newsstands for you? Like, what's the percentage of actual copies sold at newsstands, sort of point of purchase versus subscriber? Is it still that big of a difference? Oh, well, you know, it depends on the category of the magazine. A business magazine is primarily a subscription-driven product. So the newsstand sales are actually a very small percentage of overall sales. Um, you know, if you're talking about like a celebrity magazine, that's primarily newsstand-driven and, and not subscription. So newsstand doesn't drive a significant portion of our, of our you know, sales or readership or anything like that. But, but that's the way that I think of it because what I ultimately, you know, the, like uh, the magazine is doing two things. The magazine is serving the people who read the magazine, but it is also the absolute best advertisement that the overall brand has. Right? Because you have that thing on the newsstands, it's got that cachet, and so you want to treat it responsibly. Um, and you know, the second part of what I was going to say to Roger was like, even though I have those two questions, I deviate from it sometimes. And in fact, I just recently—I can't tell you who it is yet—but you know, now I'll, I can just kind of raise the suspense that uh, the next issue of the magazine has somebody on the cover who who doesn't, doesn't, you know, match answers question number one to some people, but not everybody. He's not Ryan Reynolds or the rock or other people who I've put on the cover. Um, it, it's, you know, more of a, a non-celebrity. Um, but I had a, I, I had a conversation with this person, um, it, maybe a year ago who, who came not asking about the cover, but asking about some other things. And then of course, at the end tucked in the question, Hey, by the way, what, you know, would, would it, would a cover ever make sense? And at the time I was like, well, no, I don't think, but then you know, I thought about it. I thought about it. I thought about it, and and then and then coming out of the pandemic, I thought, you know what? This is actually the right moment for this person, and so we did it. So I love having in the back of my mind options that are surprising, and and I think that you need that. I think mm -hmm. you need whenever you're creating media, you need to do a balance between predictability and surprise. People need to know what they're getting, but they need to not know exactly how they're going to get it. And so sometimes you want to throw curveballs at them. So anyway. That's a way of saying anything's possible, though, Roger, right now, I don't have a cover to offer you. I'm sorry, but I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh, man. This, there you go. Roger, great having you here. Good to see you again in Club Pod, as always. Welcome to Club Pod, folks. We are hanging out here. This is our Wednesday Lunch with the Legends series, hanging out with Jason Pfeiffer, the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine. This is your first time in Club Pod. Please put your thumb on that little green house and uh, make sure you do join us here for our future events. We've got events going on almost every hour on the hour. Our goal, our mission is to elevate the podcast industry one room at a time. And so we try to do that uh, again with uh, rooms that inform, that entertain, that educate, et cetera. And, uh, and, and also, speaking of magazines, uh, if you're not a subscriber to Podcast Magazine, we'd love to have you join us for that journey. You can actually go to clubpod.club and grab a free lifetime subscription there to Podcast Magazine, just our way of saying thank you for hanging out here in Club Pod. All right, Billy, I saw you flashing that mic, man. Question for Jason or, uh, or, or a pitch for a potential feature. Yeah, I have a question. Thanks, Steve and Jason. So nice to meet you. And Likewise. 
love the work you're doing to help empower entrepreneurs. So my question is tapping into what you just talked about, which is the element of surprise. This is a topic that I'm fascinated by, and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about why surprise is so important. What is the psychology behind it? And what have you found to be the reason why it's so important? Well, thanks, Billy. I appreciate that. And I am not a psychologist, so I'm not going to speak to the psychology of surprise. I'll leave that to somebody smarter than me. But what I'll tell you is that the way I think about all creation of, of media, be it podcast, magazine, anything, speaking on stage, is that I'm trying to balance predictability and surprise. So let me, I, you know, I just said it, but let me break it down for you a little bit more. When you pick up a copy of Entrepreneur Magazine, you want some level of predictability, right? Which is to say, you know what it is that you're roughly getting. You're picking it up because you're looking for inspiration, you're looking for community, you're looking for ideas, whatever the case is, you know what you're gonna get. But you don't know exactly what you're gonna get because if you did, you wouldn't pick it up. That's where the surprise comes from because you wanna know, you wanna be able to read this thing going in knowing roughly what you're going to get, but still hit all sorts of stories and ideas that are going to make you smack yourself in the forehead and say, ah, that is so smart. I hadn't thought of that. Right. And that's what, that's what all media needs to be. And you have to hit that balance because too much surprise is a bad thing. If you pick up entrepreneur magazine and you, uh, you know, you turn past the cover and you're actually reading 17 magazine, surprise, but bad surprise, right? Cause that's not what you want. It's not what you came for. You came for a level of predictability. So I always think, Basically, can I first understand exactly what my audience is coming for? That's the predictability that I need to hit. What do they want? And, and I will caution anybody who makes any kind of media product, or including again, podcasts, um, that you may not know the answer to that. And you need to be very, very mindful of it. And you need to be always exploring it. I went through this personally with my podcast, Build for Tomorrow. It used to operate under a different name. And I used to think of it is largely a history show. And, uh, and and I assumed that the people were coming because they were history geeks or they were tech geeks or whatever, because it also engages a lot with technology. And, um, and then I, uh, I, I hired a consultancy called Pen Name Consulting, who did a deep dive into my audience. They interviewed people, they understood what they were coming for, what did they like, what didn't they like, etc. And one of the takeaways that they had was um, this audience, the reason why they listen, is because it helps them feel more resilient about the future. I had no idea about that. But as soon as I knew that, and I realized that this isn't just something people are coming to for some kind of academic curiosity, but they're coming to it because it actually fits into their lives in some way, I was able to change the way that I talk about the, the show. I changed the name. Now I have Build for Tomorrow. I changed the, 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 the tagline. Now I say, it's a show about the things from history that shape us and how we can shape the future. You see, I took the history element, but I also now made it applicable to their lives because of that insight that I got. And I changed every single thing about it, including also the story selection. And it has been a remarkable, remarkable growth story for me now. And so you always need to be understanding what is the predictability and then how can you surprise people within that framework of predictability? Now, what's the psychology of that? I don't know. I'll leave it to somebody else, but that's how I think about media creation. Love it. Thank you so awesome. much. And I actually remember when you talked about when you were switching over here on Clubhouse, or you shared a little bit of that story. So I love the fact that you're talking about the balance between having the surprise, but also meeting the expectations that the audience has. So really appreciate it, Jason. Back to you, Steve. Thanks, Billy. All right, let me make sure I, I'm not remiss in passing over either Dylan or Katie. If you guys wanted to fire away, just flash your mics so I know you guys are here. And uh, we'll go over to Scott. And by the way, okay, you guys are here. Cool. So uh, let me do this. By the way, when we bring folks up, typically what we do is when we're here in Club Pod, when you change over your profile image to show some love for the club, by showing Club Pod some love, as Scott has done here, those are going to be the first folks that we typically bring up. It's not mandatory, but we love when you show love to the club there. So feel free. I'll do the pull to refresh. And uh, when you change that profile image, those are the first ones we're going to look for. But Dylan, I saw you flash, man. I know you've been patiently waiting. Question for Jason or let's get you uh, let's get you featured, man. Pitch him away. So I was uh, I was flashing just so you know I'm here. I, I don't Got mind it. letting a few women speak and then I'll uh, ask my question and maybe uh, give a pitch. But uh, Always the gentleman. Yeah. All right, sweet. Katie, did you want to uh, did you want to fire away the question or a pitch for Jason to get yourself featured? This is Katie speaking, and I, I don't have a pitch to get featured, but, you know, Jason, I, I love your I love your story as to how you kind of 
uh, didn't expect to, to be where you, you were, because I think that that's how a lot of entrepreneurs end up being entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I had my, my, my dream job and I had a great corporate job, but it wasn't until uh, my position was eliminated across, you know, the entire country that I found myself becoming an entrepreneur. And I think that what you're doing with Entrepreneur Magazine is, is just the, the gift of like continuing to learn and continuing to grow. And I think that one of the hardest parts um, as an entrepreneur is, is finding the answers to the, to the questions that you don't know the answers to. Um, so I, I just want to say, I love what you're doing with Entrepreneur Magazine. And I think that um, one of the hardest things that we can continue, continue to do as entrepreneurs is, is, is find the answers to the parts of our business that we don't know how to do. So um, thank you for, for Entrepreneur Magazine. And um, I just love your story. So thanks. Hey, thank you, Katie. I really appreciate that. And I'll, I'll give you a little insight into the, the, the underlying thought that drives the way that I think about how to tell stories and how to, how to help people do just what you said, which is answer those questions, which is that when I, when I came to Entrepreneur, I had this puzzle. And the puzzle was that the word entrepreneur had really shifted, you know, to decades ago to the degree that anybody used the word and certainly to the degree that anybody knew how to spell the word, which is probably not that many people. It was a word that meant something hyper specific, maybe a certain kind of business person or a small business or whatever it was. It was something. It was something, but it was specific and it probably wasn't them. And by 2015, 2016, when I was entering the brand, uh, that had changed. We were now in a world in which the word entrepreneur had come to mean so many things to so many people. It was a cultural identifier. It was a badge of honor. It was an identity. And I thought, how do we engage all these people? How do you speak to all these people who may not have uh, similar career paths, may not have similar ambitions? And the more that I talked to everybody, the more I realized that the thing that they all have in common is the emotional experience of entrepreneurship. That's what it is. It's the emotional experience, the, the problem solving, the feeling crazy and lonely, smashing through walls. That's what everybody, doesn't matter if they are like trying to sell stuff on eBay or if they're running a venture back company in Silicon Valley, they all are relative to each other having the same emotional experience. And I thought if we can speak to that and identify what's going on there and make people feel like they are heard and supported there, then I think everything else follows. And so that's been my philosophy in, in storytelling and in the way that I relate to the audience. And so hearing you articulate that is, is, is rewarding to me because it, it means that it's coming through. This is Katie speaking. And um, I, I just want to chime in, Steve, before I pass the microphone back to you, because I, I love what you said. It can be very lonely, the, the path of entrepreneurship. And that is just, it's just hearing the other stories of like, oh, this is what they did to figure it out. Or this is, you know, the different tool that they found that helps them take them to that next step. So it, it can be a very lonely journey. But when you find other entrepreneurs to join you on that path of entrepreneurship, it's, uh, it really becomes a lot more of a fun journey and a funner path. So I'll pass it back to you, Steve. Yeah, I appreciate that. And point is really, really well taken. Alrighty, thanks for showing some love to the club, Scott. Let's uh, let's kick it over to you, and then um, let's go to uh, we'll circle back to Dylan if uh, if you're ready. Otherwise, we'll go to Teresa. So, Scott, yeah, man, fire away. Hey, thank you, Steve. Uh, Jason, I just uh, so proud to have this opportunity to share something with you. So, I'm sharing today. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. My future is tied with Steve and his group, but I just wanted to share with you that. Uh, Maybe before your time, but I was uh, owned a chain of comedy clubs in the name in the eighties and nineties. And in nineteen ninety two, I was featured under the people section. There was an article on me and my partner because we'd opened a cartoon cell only animation gallery called Cartoon Galleria, and being featured in Entrepreneur Magazine was one of the highlights of my life, and it's still up on my wall. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thanks for uh, what that magazine and what uh, you're doing for entrepreneurs everywhere. This is Scott Edwards off. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome, Scott. I appreciate that. That's really nice to hear. And you know, when, when people send me stuff like that, I always pass it along to my team because I think it's important for us all to remember that, you know, 
we, we, we may think about making a product that reaches a lot of people, but of course the impact is very individual. And, uh, and I think it's important to remember that. Love that. All right, let's, uh, Dylan, you ready, man? You want to fire away? And, uh, and then we'll go to Teresa next. Dylan. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a huge honor. I love, I love clubhouse cause you never know what, who you're going to be in a room with and you know, when it's going to happen. So I think you just got to be on here. So Jason, it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, and I just want to make a comment on the value of a magazine and why people collect them like they're, you know, uh, a steel case Blu-ray or it's a, a baseball card or whatever it is. And I think it's because there is that element of I have this tangible magazine in my hand. I've been featured in magazines before and, and digital magazines don't have the same vibe. When I got featured in Forbes, I still have a copy of that magazine, even in my RV right now. It's I know exactly where it is because it's like uh, an almanac. It reminds me of um, Back to the Future a little bit, how you have that, you know, that magazine that, you know, controls your future a little bit. And by all means, I think that's the power of, of a magazine is, is you have that tangible moment in history, whether it's, you know, the person on the cover, maybe it's the topic or the article or it's yourself. It's that tangibility of I can hold this. And I can save it and I can show it 10 years later to someone in my family. And it's something that get passed down. So, yeah, I mean, magazines are, are without a doubt still relevant, still very powerful. And for me, I mean, I literally I have an entire drawer with maybe like 100 magazines that I've collected that that I still keep with me for for inspiration or for, you know, reading that article again. So, yeah, I, uh, huge fan. Um you know, you answered one of my questions, which was going to be, you know, how how do you decide who's going to necessarily, you know, make it into the magazine or, you know, what are those defining factors? And when you said, you know, would somebody at the airport recognize them or, or would they even, you know, care what they're saying? Um, you know, I appreciate the feedback. Um, my, my question to you is kind of what's that deciding factor that, you know, you make that isn't for the cover? But when you're looking at, I want to feature this person, you know, is it that they have a unique perspective or is it that their emotional story, again, is something that everybody can connect with? Like what what's that one thing that you go, this is somebody I need to put in the magazine. This is somebody whose story needs to be told. Like, I guess what what's that one thing for you? And then I'll give a slight little uh, a little pitch. Uh, cool. Dylan, I really appreciate all that. And yeah, I, I, I feel you. I hold on to physical stuff, printed stuff all the time. I, one of my favorite things that I do is that every year on my birthday, I go out and I buy whatever the local paper is wherever I am at the time. And, uh, and then I tear out the front page and I keep it. And I, and I, and I, I add it to the bundle that I've, I have, that I've been doing this for 15 years or something like that. So it's a lot of front pages for my birthday. It's really cool. You don't get that online. So, um, Here's a right. The, the decision that I make about the cover is, is is separate from everything else, right? Because the magazine is not a celebrity magazine. You you put somebody on the cover that everyone's going to recognize because it helps get people to pick up the the magazine. But the rest of the magazine is not about celebrities. We're not Us Weekly here. So Ryan Reynolds is on the cover, but you know, but a bunch of Ryan Reynoldses are not throughout the rest of the pages. So what goes in the rest of the magazine? The way that I filter it is this: I'm not interested in success stories. I find success stories to be extremely boring. It's not to say that I'm not interested in people's success, but you know, think about it yourself. If you're flipping through a magazine and it's just telling you about all these successes, that's not interesting. It's not useful to you. You're reading this magazine because you want it to be useful to you. So to me, the question is, what stories can I find that are problem-solving stories, that are providing insights of something that somebody did that is a decision that they made, counterintuitive perhaps, but whatever the case is, the decision that they made that other people would read and say, ah, oh, that is so smart, and I feel like I learned something from my business that can do that. And that means that you gotta find things that are pretty broadly relatable. I'll give you a really, really quick fun story that I love, which is that one day, years ago, I got an email from this woman named Joelle who has a butter dish called Buttery, and the thing about the butter dish is that it's on a hinge, so it's not, you don't lift it up and, and you know put it back down, on a hinge, you flip it open. And the reason that you do that is so that you can leave the butter out of the refrigerator because butter you leave it out of the refrigerator and it's nice and soft and spreadable. The problem is though, of course, if you have a butter dish with the thing that you lift up, 
It's going to bump into the butter and it's going to make a big mess. So the hinge solves that problem. Great. That's not the kind of problem solving that story that I'm talking about, because of course, every business solves some sort of problem somewhere, right? Harry's razors solves a problem of, of I guess, uh, you know, not enough uh, uh, razor options out there. But that's not what I mean. What I mean is a, a problem within the business, uh, an interesting insight of how you resolved some kind of challenge that everybody faces. And in this case, it was this. She was trying to figure out how to make some core decisions about the butter dish. How, for example, should she price the butter dish? What colors should the butter dish be? Stuff that market research could handle. And so she goes to a company and she says, I'd like to, to have you do some market research for me on all these questions. And they say, great, no problem, it's $10,000. And she doesn't have $10,000, so what does she do? Well, she is one day sitting at an airport thinking about this problem. And she looks around and she realizes that an airport is full of people who have absolutely nothing better to do than answer questions about butter dishes. Absolutely nothing better to do. And in fact, if you start at gate one, by the time you get to gate eight, gate one is full of totally new people. And you could do this all day. And so that's what she starts doing. Every time that she has a, has a flight somewhere, she just shows up many hours earlier because you can show up whenever you want. And then she goes around, asks people these questions about butter dishes. She doesn't say she's the inventor because then everyone will be nice to her. And uh, and she gets her market research done. She saves $10,000. I have told that story so many times on so many stages in front of so many different kinds of people, perhaps none of which ever will work in the butter dish industry. And they all get something from it because it's smart and it's innovative and it's just showing how there are solutions around you that you may not recognize. And that's, to me, what is always the core of an Entrepreneur Magazine story. I love it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like I uh, selfishly asked the question before I gave a pitch so I have a little bit more better ammunition. <laughs> so as I, as I hear that and you say it's not about the success, it's about the journey and the struggle. And then you mentioned earlier that the emotion is is what really drives us to have that connection the emotion of being an entrepreneur who's working through something um yeah i mean for me i'm, I'm gonna just give a quick little 30 second thing here um by all means and it, it's interesting because i uh this might be a horrible pitch because i don't pitch on this platform i just make connections but i, I truly you know have spent over 14 years as a dog trainer learning from dogs and for me without a doubt I trained myself to be successful by training dogs and training dogs is what trained me to be successful in life and business. And without a doubt, I think realizing how we as humans and entrepreneurs, literally one can be trained like dogs, but true, we act almost the exact same way when it comes to fight or flight getting confused, feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, um, not having clarity of what we're supposed to do with the directions or with our purpose or what we're actually, you know, supposed to, you know, do to achieve said results. So for me, I don't know if you've featured too many dog trainers that can relate to entrepreneurship, but for me, I know most everyone, I mean, I think easily 50 percent of people in the USA have a dog or have an animal and they see a lot of similarities within themselves but I don't think they they go deep enough to truly see that some of the things that we might be applying to train our children to train our, our dogs and all these things can actually apply to becoming a successful business owner to becoming a successful entrepreneur and working through your struggles realizing the power of being consistent in a day-to-day -day routine or the power of being inconsistent the power of not having clarity mm. the power of not having your confidence and all these things for me, I mean, I've trained literally close to 10,000 dogs at this point from puppies to extreme aggression, and it's all the same at the end of the day. If you can understand those, those basic factors of what shut us down, what stops us, what prevents us from, from taking the action and from actually getting the results. And, you know, it, it's something that I've continued to talk about. And my, my whole brand of We Are Dog Training is about the fact that we are all, in a, in a sense, dog training one way or another. And, you know, we have to find what motivates us, what, you know, what keeps us going. What's what's that treat that we need to reward ourselves with, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just truly amazing to kind of make that comparison between dogs and the entrepreneurial mindset and, and how a lot of us do get shut down from that confusion. And we, we sometimes go fight or flight and stop believing in our dreams just because we don't have that clarity, that direction, or that mm -hmm. coach, perhaps, that's going to help us work through. So, um, you know, by all means, yeah. yeah.
Interesting angle. What do you think, Jason? There's something there, right? Uh, yeah. Well, so Dylan, this, that's <laughs> fun. I have to tell you the thing that the thing that it first reminded me of was I don't know if anybody remembers this, but years and years and years ago, the uh, so the New York Times has this column called uh, Modern Love, and uh, which is a you know first person column about relationships. And one woman wrote a, a story about how she used animal training techniques on her husband and that thing was like the most read story on the new york on new york times.com for like a week and then it turned into a book for her and then possibly a movie i can't remember anyway she like she really ran with that that, that thing and uh and and you're saying i think the the entrepreneur version of that which is pretty interesting i don't think that it's coverage in that i don't know that we would write about you but i think that an essay from you mm -hmm. about what you just were talking about could be an interesting play somewhere at least on entrepreneur.com so dm me and let's uh, let's see if there's something there appreciate it jason there you go the great gatsby of clubhouse himself did a pitch man i uh I, that's uh, that's one for the record books right there man so there you go awesome awesome hope you guys connect let's do this as so we can keep it rocking keeping it rolling here let's go to teresa question for jason uh or a quick pitch and then uh See how many we can get to, but I know Jason's got a hard stop here at the top of the hour, so we'll do the best that we can. Teresa? Yeah, hey, so those, Steve, Steve I, just, yes. uh, I, I just texted you a second ago to say my other call got canceled, so we can go a little bit longer. Ooh, bonus time. Sweet. We made it into the uh, into OT with Jason Pfeiffer. All right, Teresa, what's your question? Let's try to keep it simple here and fast so we can get to as many as possible because folks are patiently waiting. What's up? I will try to unmute you. Hold on, because I know that you got to try to unmute yourself, Teresa. I know you've got the hearing thing going on. I should say, my name is Steve Olsher. Every time I speak, I am sorry. I'm remiss in doing that. Teresa, try to figure out what you can do uh, on your mic there. I can't seem to unmute you. So let me do this. Let me kick it over to John. And then as soon as you get your mic working, just flash it at the bottom bottom right. We'll uh, we'll try to get you on. John, what is your question or pitch? Oh, hold on. Can you hear me hold, now? On. hold on, John. Hold on. We got Teresa. Yes. <laughs> I can hear you. There we go. <laughs> so you kind of did a little bit of the pitch for me. Yes. So thanks very much. This, this is the first time I've ever been on any any of these clubhouse events. So thank you for that, Steve. So Jason, what would your life be like or your children's life be like or your life be like if they lost your hearing today? And that's what I want all the airports that people walk through to see on Entrepreneur Magazine. I want them to see how important the value of hearing is and what we can do for the 65 million Americans in the United States that have hearing loss and the 1.1 billion in the world globally that have it and how we can stop the silent tsunami that's coming in by 2050, according to the World Health Organization, through basically having me in your magazine and having the story in the magazine and helping get this word out about that because this is May is Better Hearing and Speech Month and you probably haven't even heard of that, have you? And so we need to get the word out. There you go. So that's my pitch. There you go. I don't know whether it's a good pitch or not, but there it was. <laughs> and you know, you, you, you said no, to say something shocking. So that's the come I did. Right. So. And thanks for the work that you're doing in the world for the hearing impaired and yourself as well. Jay, and Teresa, I'm going to go ahead and mute you just because there's a lot of background noise there. But Jason, uh, feedback for Teresa? Yeah. So thanks, Teresa. First of all, thanks for uh, thanks for speaking in the room. You said this was this is uh, your first time doing so. Um, so that's great. Uh, well, I mean, look, I, I, without discounting any of the importance of what you just said, which obviously is quite important, and I echo Steve's um, you know uh, applause for the work that you're doing. Um, but it, you know, it, it doesn't match the thesis that I just that I just shared, yeah. uh, which is yeah. which is really you know how how can somebody read something and and have a kind of surprise moment of how they can improve their business. Um, you know, this is a this is something that I struggle with a lot because people always come to me with very important causes or or missions or you know help me get the word out about this or that and you know there are so many of these things and I and I would love to be a platform for them all but of course um, you, know, you, you just you, you can't always be because you have to stay focused on what it is that people are coming to you for so um, so I, apl I I applaud the work and uh, you know hopefully can be helpful in some way at some point but um, but I don't yeah. think that the story that you're describing okay. makes sense. However, can I say one more thing? Uh, Teresa, let's uh, do this. Hold on, Teresa, just so we can get to some other folks here, because again, out of respect for Jason's time, let me uh, let me jump over to John, and I appreciate you. But yeah, let me let me jump over to John, and, uh, and then we'll get to ta Tamara uh, or Tamara, okay. and uh, and then Andrew. But thanks, Teresa. Thank you, thank you. Okay. okay. Yep. John, what's going on, buddy? 
Steve, hi. Uh, thank you very much for uh, having me up here on stage. Jason, uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of your book, of Entrepreneur um, Magazine. And Steve, of course, you know I love Podcast Magazine. Um, <laughs> now, Jason, uh, I'm going to start this off by saying you have to do a story on me because I am a super cool dude. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll settle for the back cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, 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 back, the back cover is an advertisement so if you would like to pay uh, i can put you in touch with the sales <laughs> oh damn all right <laughs> all right guys so uh, a little backstory on me um was is that um i've been basically an entrepreneur my whole life my my father uh runs in the family uh he started a background screening company and which i was involved in with uh him which we raised it up to a 12 12 million dollar valuation um, and then after I left that, I started my own thing. I had an apparel company. I, start, I started making my own t-shirts. I had them on MMA fighters on HBO. And, and then I started dabbling in my art because I'm an autistic guy, you know, and uh, I paint and draw and all this. So, and then I fell in love with podcasting. And, uh, and podcasting, I think, is the, is the conglomeration of, of art, I think. You know, it's, it's design, it's audio, it's video, visual, um, you know, if you have a camera. But um, so I've been doing it for almost two years now, and I started live streaming not too long after that, and I instantly fell in love with the medium. Um, when I started vodcasting, I, I was having a lot of people ask me, how do you do that? Teach me. So many people, in fact, that uh, I built a whole course around it, live streaming and vodcasting. Um, I sat down with people like Perez Hilton, Joe Pardo, uh, to talk about the industry on my show, in part because of this platform. And this platform is amazing for podcasters. Um, but then you got to think, well, what's next for vodcasters, for the people who record on video? And... You know, so do I keep telling everyone to keep uploading their content to YouTube where they get lost in the masses? And yeah, you know, do I tell them to get their own website to host their own content? So I got to thinking about the evolution of the industry and it really led me to television. So uh, I'm building a platform launching in July called VOD TV, where vodcasters will get the chance to be on television, uh, Roku, Fire TV and Apple TV to be exact. Uh, the platform will roll out in phases, uh, stage one starting in July. So, John, hold on real quick here. So, are you asking if that's newsworthy for Entrepreneur Magazine? Because we don't want to turn this into a commercial for what you're doing here. So sure, that, sure, sure. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no yeah. yeah. What do you, so is what that do you newsworthy think, is the, is the question. Uh, the answer is it's newsworthy for someone, but probably not for us. We don't do a lot of launch coverage. Um, and the reason for that is because, and you know, that, again, like every time I just, I want to like stress every time that I say no to something is not to discount the impressiveness of it or, you know, anything like that. But, um, but the reason is because what I'm primarily focused on is what can, what can other entrepreneurs learn, right? To me, coverage of one person is never really about that person. It's really about what that person can share and teach other people. And, uh, and so launches generally have almost nothing to teach anybody, right? Because the product is new. You haven't seen if it plays out. And even if somebody has an interesting thesis or a reason why they started it, you don't know if it's going to work out. And so I tend to love to tell stories of people a couple of years, at least into their journey. It's not to say that we don't always, or that we never cover launches, but it, it has to be for a very, very specific purpose. Okay, yeah. great. Thank you very much. There you go. Thanks, John. Good having you here. All right. And let me ask you a question, Jason, because I know there's a lot of people. And as you can see, I mean, look, I'd love to get on the front cover. I'd love to get on the back cover. I'd love to be featured, like all that fun stuff. What, what's your take yep. on, on the pay to play? Have you ever sold a cover just between us boys here? Have you ever sold a cover ever? <laughs> I have no, never. No, I, I have a lot of thoughts on pay to play, but they are all very, very angry thoughts because pay to play. The idea of pay to play is a, is a, is a, a just a, it's an assault on the work that me and my peers do. And frankly, it's an assault on your trust. If you picked up this magazine or any real, any, you know, any real established magazine, and you thought that any part of that was paid for, then you wouldn't trust any of it. There would be no reason to. It infuriates me. I have to, I'm just like, I want to stress with my, with my rage. It infuriates me when people reach out to me and they offer me money to, to, for, for an article, because what that 
that's telling me is you think that I'm a service provider and that everything that I do is just like some hack bullshit for people who pay me. It is so unbelievably insulting. So no, we have never, ever, I've never once been part of selling any editorial and no magazine that I've ever worked at has ever been part of that either. And I really hope that you... Um, trust and believe the you know the the, the great work that um, you know me and my peers are doing because it is not something that we're doing because anybody's paying us. In fact, quite the opposite. Journalism uh, doesn't pay very well. So oftentimes, mm. the people that you're seeing who are who are uh, who are working in this industry, um, you know, they could be making a lot more money getting paid by people doing something else. Yeah, and and the point's really well taken. And are there are there more just from an insider's perspective? Are there more folks paying for that coverage than we might realize? No, I mean, there's television is a whole different thing, right? There's, there's all sorts of paid placements and stuff that you'll see. Um, like, pro- like product placements when you walk into like- a kitchen and you see a box of Cheerios, you mean? Sure, there's a ton of that stuff, and they're not going to tell you that it's that it's advertising. And there have been there there have definitely been instances that I've heard of where let's just say, and I'm just using them by example. I'm not yeah. calling them out specifically. Where the Today Show has somebody to, on to talk about, you know, five five great summer products or whatever, and mm-hmm. a couple of those are paid for. I've heard about that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, but um, but you know what what is typical, and and I think that when people think of pay to play, they probably think of this. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure that everybody in the room has gotten some version of this. You open up Instagram, you look at your DMs, you've got a message from somebody who's claiming that for five thousand dollars they'll get you a story in Entrepreneur um, or, or or Forbes or Inc mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me tell you what that is. That's not the publication. That's not endorsed by or 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 in any way done with the cooperation of the publication. What that is is generally somebody who is going out and making these promises and then and then they are either working directly with a contributor because all these these publications have contributor networks which are which are entrepreneurs who have been vetted uh, in one way or another depending on the publication and then they're writing for the uh, for the website and some of those people may be secretly on the take and so the money is getting funneled to them or they're not on the take and they're just getting duped by these people who actually are on the take and who are working with them, maybe feeding them stories or saying, oh, you should quote this person or that person. And we are on alert for that. I spend a lot of time going down rabbit holes where you know somebody will have passed along one of those things to me and I will start digging and digging to identify who their clients are and who they've worked with. And then we will blast all of that stuff off of the site. I mean, yeah. we delete lots of stories if we if we discover that anybody is has even a whiff of this kind of stuff. So when you see that, it, it is it is entirely possible, I will admit it, that you might pay somebody and you might end up on one of these sites. But I think it is also very likely that if anybody discovers that, they're going to be pissed about it and they're going to mm-hmm. delete it right off of their site too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for the insight around that because I know there's been some questions and folks have approached us and said, hey, we can get you featured here and featured there. That's uh, it's, it's good to have a little bit of that insider knowledge around that. All right, let's go to uh, Tamara or Tamara. I never know how to pronounce the name and I don't want to butcher it. Uh, and out of respect for Jason's time here, we're going to start wrapping things up. But what is your question or a quick pitch for uh, Entrepreneur Magazine? Thanks, Steve. It's Tamara. Lovely to be here and lovely to meet you, Jason. Uh, I'm Tamara Lur. I am a 25-year veteran of entrepreneurship, a YPO member, and actually a founder of a new uh, Impacts um, chapter, uh, which is really exciting. Um, I uh, am an eight-figure entrepreneur and really trying to bridge the gap because as I notice that uh, the more revenue I make, the less women there are um, in those organisations. So um, I'm currently mentoring uh, a, a heap of women and uh, collectively they turn over more than 50 million dollars um and it's really about business as a force for good. Uh, every product that I sell, I'm in the beauty and wellness space, uh, has giving embedded as a cost of goods. And we're on a mission to create 10 million impacts by simply uh, serving uh, conscious consumers and helping them make the switch to brands that are ethical, which are female founded, vegan, cruelty free, zero waste uh, and giving embedded. My question to you. 
you, Jason, is with your um, with the rise of conscious consumerism, uh, and uh, you know the next wave of entrepreneurs are very much being focused about impact. Is that something on your radar? And do you have regular contributors for content or a columnist that helps support females step into the space of entrepreneurship? Because it's not a matter of women, um, you know, not uh, qualify uh, being able to join YPO. It's the fact that you know they don't have the support to get over that twenty million mark. Um, and secondly. Uh, business uh, as a as a force for good. I'm done speaking. Well, hey, thanks for the great question and also the great work that you're doing. Uh, the short answer is yes, we do have uh, a number of writers and dedicated spaces for these kinds of things. Um, we also always devote our October issue to what we call 100 Powerful Women, where the uh, every issue is exactly that. And uh, and so um, and then you know we have we have columnists online who write on this subject as well. So it's an important one. Um, and, and of course, everything that I just said doesn't mean that we, I feel like we're doing it perfectly or that we're covering exactly what, you know, needs to be covered, but we're, you know, it's, 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 it's something that we're aware of and we want to be participating in. As for, uh, you know, just sort of general impact stuff, we, we do cover it and we do, um, and we do try to have a lot of good dialogue about how to do it right. The, the approach that I tend to like to take is, is of the more instructive variety, right? Like I, I found that it, people aren't all that interested in just reading about how some other company is doing something good, right? I mean, that's to people tend to kind of want coverage for that kind of stuff, but it doesn't serve any other audience. Um, it's not that instructive. Often it actually kind of makes it feel like taking medicine, right? Reading about how somebody, other company is doing something really good just makes you feel crappy that you're not doing the same thing. So what we, what we tend to do is more, um, more good dialogue um, and, and thinking about how to build um, impact into your organization uh, in a way that isn't just surface level. So that's something that we've hit many times and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, appreciate that. Good to have you here. All right, let's do this as we uh, begin to wrap up here. Thanks for showing some love to the club here, Sean. Uh, and Connie, I'm thinking we're probably not going to be able to have the time here just because we're going to let Jason jump. But Andrew, let's uh, let's have you jump in here, man. Yeah, I know you've been patiently waiting. Really appreciate you showing some love to the club there with Club Pod. What is your question uh, and or brief pitch for Jason Pfeiffer of Entrepreneur Magazine? Andrew. And I'm going to give you once, I'm going to give you twice. There you <laughs> so, are. So I see this is, uh, <laughs> I'm new. Anyway, I'm Welcome. here because I, thank you, thank you, thank you, Steve, Steve, thank you, Jason. I'm here because of podcasting and uh, I just have to give really quick props to the Entrepreneur Magazine's The Problem Solvers Podcast. Uh, just thank go you. to you're welcome. Just go to episode 127. You will learn about the invention of the elevator. You'll learn about Mr. Otis. And Jason will tell you the story like you're there. And I'm just going to say the words like he says it. Cut the rope. Because you said that so beautifully. And uh, I do have a pitch for you, but I had to say that. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So what's, what's funny is what you just did there is actually plug... Um, uh, uh, an episode of my show build for tomorrow that I ran on the problem solvers feed because <laughs> uh, so, um, so problem solvers is a show that I do. That's a weekly show about entrepreneurs solving problems in their business. Build for tomorrow is this show that dives deep into the lessons from history, uh, and innovation, including an episode that, uh, Andrew's referencing about the, uh, the, uh, the elevator and how it completely changed our world in ways that are going to be surprising and, and crazy to you. And, uh, and the lessons that we can learn about how to bring, bring innovation into our world now so anyways that that actually comes from build for tomorrow so we would love for folks to check out uh, either of those but anyway andrew tell me your uh, tell me your pitch sure okay so uh help bring a, a product to market just over 10 years ago it's called the gallery pouch it's a heavyweight bubble bag they're made one at a time in dallas texas up to about 50 by 150 inches and i needed this product because about 10 of my frames were damaged after an exhibition i was heartbroken and i said well let me reach out to someone I know. Can they just make me a custom bubble bag? It's really simple. Yet people are using rolls of, of bubble wrap and tape, and then it's just a mess. So he did it for me. And uh, tens of thousands of bags later, they've been selling for over 10 years. And I think that this would be a good story because I can talk about why the product is helping others, why it's helping save the environment because of much less plastic, and also how I was able to help them recoup after the main supplier of the material, which is custom made, stopped making the, the material. So I had to really find a formula. I had to 
find a way to make this product again because it was my baby and it took a lot. So that's my story. Well, that's a great story. It's not, you know, I don't know that I see a, a kind of coverage opportunity for us right now because the, 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 the way that you tell the story is, is you know, um, a, a pretty common experience for entrepreneurs. What I'm often looking for is that like insight that transcends one person's story and can be um, can be something that that ports over to so many others. Which isn't to say that it's not there, but um, but I you know I at least didn't hear it. But um, but you know I I would say also to you because you've got a pretty narrow focus on on um, you know who your audience is. That if you're seeking press, and I you know I suggest this to anybody who's thinking about press, like really think about what is the value that you can get out of it? And then how can you target your pitch to the places that are going to get that value? So I imagine that there are there are publications that are reaching a very high concentration of your audience, uh, whereas entrepreneur would be a real, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be a high concentration of your audience. Maybe maybe some of it would be in there. You'd be reaching a lot of people who maybe would find it interesting, but it wouldn't get in, get get you any value. Wouldn't you get you any additional sales? And to me, press is really a tool more than it is in anything else. So um, so you know, maybe maybe start targeting some niche publications. I think they'd love to know about what you're building there. Absolutely, thank you very much. And I will say they're great for table leaves too. So <laughs> that's just an example of how we <laughs> found people using them. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Thanks, buddy. Good having you here. And uh, and we're going to wrap up, but I would be remiss uh, if I didn't give my chance, Rob, give my buddy Rob Moore at least a chance and opportunity to say hello. And uh, Rob, uh, Jason, have you had a chance to connect with Rob yet? Rob, I don't believe so. Oh, was- man. Right. See, this is this is the beauty of Clubhouse here. So, yeah, Rob is uh, he's the real deal. And uh, anytime I see Rob in a room, I just want to make sure I give him an opportunity to come up as I've tried to get as many of you guys up here uh, as possible. But Rob, let me give you uh, just a quick 15 seconds here, man, to introduce yourself and you and all the work that you're up to in the world in the podcast space and the entrepreneurial space and the events and everything else that you're doing. Uh, man, I would be remiss if I at least didn't give you a chance to say hello to Jason and introduce yourself. So fire away, and uh, and then we'll wrap up here with Jason Pfeiffer of Entrepreneur Magazine. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure. And Jason, nice to meet you. Maybe we'll connect on Instagram after, so... 15 seconds is not a long time. I have a podcast called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. We're 700 episodes in. I've interviewed a load of billionaires, Floyd Mayweather and some other cool people. Um, I have a foundation called the Rob Moore Foundation to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world. And we support a lot of people over the world. Been an entrepreneur for 15 years. I hold world records for public speaking, longest public speech have 990 properties in my real estate portfolio. I have three main companies, ownership, management, and development. I've written 18 books. My book opportunity just came out um, this last few weeks. I just love entrepreneurship. If I see entrepreneur in the title, I'm in. If I see entrepreneur magazine in the title, I'm doubling. And if I see Steve in the room, I am all in. <laughs> Appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, just want to again make sure you well, guys have the opportunity to connect here. Fire away, Jason. Yeah, and then we'll uh, yeah, we'll yeah, wrap. No. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Rob, thanks thanks for that intro. I thought you, you packed a lot in there to the fifteen seconds. Um, yeah, let's let's connect by DM. That'd be great. I'll I'll just say uh, for fun that um, I'm going to guess you you've done uh, you, you've done something I certainly failed to do, which was which was get something good out of Floyd Mayweather. And when I was a Junior, when I was a kid uh, working at Men's Health, uh, I, I I was sent off to meet Floyd Mayweather at some event and gets like some workout tips from him. And, uh, and I go up to him and I say, you know, Floyd, what's the, like, you know, what, what are your, what are your workout tips or, you know, what, what's the secret to staying fit or whatever stupid thing I said. And, um, and he, he just said, I don't give him up my secrets. And then he walked away and that was it. And I had absolutely nothing. It was a, it was a failure of a day back as a junior <laughs> editor and entrepreneur. So, uh, congratulations on doing better than me. <laughs> oh man. See, and, and here you are so many years later, and now if Floyd came to you, Jason, I'm sure you would say, you know what, man, I have no time for you. I've got an actual life now that, uh, that, that's that got no room in it for, you, for people you like know, you. He's hard work. He's, I, I had 40 minutes with him. Well, I got 30 and I got 45 out of him and he's hard work, but he's a defensive fighter. So he's going to be a, de- a defensive <laughs> guest. Um, <laughs> right, right. Coining the true. new term. That's awesome. That's true. But right. yeah, you know, Steve, just to, if I, if I just, I know I'm, I'm running over my time here, but I just, I just share because you just said, you know, if, if I, if I talk to him now, so I just have, man, just for what it's worth, like 
collect these moments, everybody, because they mean the, they just mean the world. So I, I, in the very, very beginning of my career, maybe I'll just say this is kind of wrap up, but like at the very beginning of my career, uh, actually also at Men's Health, I got this call one day and it was, it was from a publicist and it was from my boss. Uh, and she was, she wanted to invite my boss to dinner with Chris Bosch. And uh, this was uh, for, ba for basketball fans. Chris had just left Toronto. He was heading down to Miami to join the big three with LeBron and Wade. And, um, and this killed me because I grew up in Miami as a Miami Heat fan, still am. And I wanted to have dinner with Chris Bosch, but this invite was for my boss. And so uh, I passed it along. Long, but I said, hey, I will uh, go in your stead if you don't want to go. And my boss either didn't care or was busy or whatever, but he said, sure, go. And so I told the publicist who was not happy. She didn't want me there. She wanted the boss, but instead she got this kid. And, uh, and I went and it was me, Chris, a uh, very senior a television producer and a very impressive fashion designer. And then Chris's wife and some friends. It was a really intimate thing and at a steakhouse. And I, um, I did my best to keep up with the conversation. But, you know, I was a, I was a kid, I was inexperienced. Uh, all these people were far wealthier and successful, more successful than me. But, you know, everyone was very, very nice and welcoming. And Chris is a smart guy. And, uh, and, and so we had some things to talk about. And at the end, I thought, well, you know, I feel like I stole one and, uh, and I'm very happy with that. Now, flash forward many, many years later, uh, my career grew. I, I'm now running this magazine. Chris's career in basketball, unfortunately, ended because of blood clots, and so he um, he had to leave the NBA. And he wrote this lovely book that's coming out very soon called Letters to a Young Athlete. And so a week or two ago, um, I, uh, I got on the phone with Chris to interview him about the book because I was interested in the book, but also I was just interested in he talking to him about how he reoriented himself after he lost the career that he had worked so hard to build. And at the beginning, I reminded him of that dinner. And, uh, and, and he remembered the dinner. He didn't remember me and I didn't expect him to, but, um, but when I told him and then he understood very quickly, right? Like he met me when I was, I was the kid and now I'm the boss. And, um, and he, uh, and he, you know, congratulated me on that. And I, and I said, I said, well, thank you so much. That's, you know, I guess, um, that's what we work for, isn't it? And Chris said, we don't work to be average. And I love that. It, that's a, that to me is like the kind of moment that I'm looking for here, where it's like you put yourself out there in any capacity at any time. You make sure you're at the table, even if, frankly, you're not invited and don't feel like you belong. And then at some point, it will all come back and you'll connect with somebody else or you'll connect with that person and um, you'll be at different levels and you'll be able to look at each other and say, we don't work to be average. And that's that's the kind of moment that I'm always looking for for myself and for everybody. And uh, anyway, what you said about Floyd Mayweather just reminded me of that. Yeah, there you go, man. Really appreciate the story. We really appreciate the time and uh, and really appreciate you taking a listen here to some of these pitches. And what we'll do, Jason, is... We'll get you back here in a club pod. Uh, give everybody an opportunity, Connie. Uh, I'll put you first on the list for the next one. And give everybody the opportunity to, as many people as possible, anyway, the opportunity to come in and uh, meet you and, and pitch you, and hopefully we'll land a couple of you guys into features there in Entrepreneur Magazine. All right, and so before we go, please make sure you put your thumb on all of the faces here that you see up on stage, including Connie's. Let's get Connie some followers as she was patiently waiting. Uh, unfortunately, didn't have a chance to get to her, but let's uh, let's all make sure we give a follow to those that you're not following. Make sure you join Club Pod if you are not a member of Club Pod and hanging out with us here. Uh, and of course, go to clubpod.club and there you can grab a free lifetime subscription to Podcast Magazine, our way of saying thank you for hanging out here in Club Pod. All right, Jason, we are going to make this official. Looking forward to having you back. And again, if you're listening to the podcast edition here, Make sure you come into Clubhouse, into Club Pod. We'd love to have you there. If you're listening right now live on Clubhouse here in Club Pod and you missed any of today's episode, we are going to release this in full on my show, on my podcast, which is called Reinvention Radio, and you can hear everything there. All right, my friends, we'll make it official and talk to you really, really soon. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com.